1928, the communists declared that the racial differences among our people constituted the weakest and most vulnerable point in our social fabric. By constantly probing and straining at this one spot, they calculated that eventually the cloth could be torn apart and that Americans could be divided, weakened, and perhaps even set against each other in open combat. We mustn't kid ourselves into thinking that the communists have placed their agitators only into the black communities. They're working both sides of the street. They want hatred, violence, and bloodshed between the races, and they don't care how they get it or whom they use, even children if necessary. Here is a book that I think ought to be in every home library. It's entitled Color, Communism, and Common Sense by Manning Johnson. He joined the party as a young man because he honestly believed that the communists were trying to improve the conditions of his people. He was a dedicated communist, and eventually he rose to one of the highest ranks. But after many years, he discovered that instead they were merely planning to use his people in a bloody revolution to destroy America. And when he woke up to this, he dropped out of the party and devoted the rest of his life trying to alert his fellow citizens of all races to the true nature of the Communist Party as he knew it to be from the inside. Manning Johnson said, Black rebellion was what Moscow wanted. Bloody racial conflict would split America. During the confusion, demoralization and panic would set in. Then finally the Reds say, workers stop work. Many of them seize arms by attacking arsenals. Street fights become frequent. Under the leadership of the Communist Party, the workers organize revolutionary committees to be in command of the uprising. Armed workers seize the principal government offices, invade the residences of the president and his cabinet members, arrest them, declare the old regime abolished, establish their own power. The violent revolution becomes of primary value to the communists to the extent to which it can be used to condition the masses psychologically to accept the nonviolent revolution which is offered supposedly as the only alternative. Hoping to avoid further violence and bloodshed, the public is to be pressured into accepting measures that will move the country gradually and legally toward communism, but without calling it that. The strategy of the proletarian revolution calls for the quiet conversion of our government into a communist regime, but under the banner of socialism. Well, what is socialism? All right, let's define it. According to the dictionary, socialism is a political concept based upon the principle of government ownership and control of property, the means of production, and the avenues of commerce. Under socialism, those who run the government, and the communists are confident that in America they eventually will be the ones who do so, those who run the government will know who is to get something and who has to wait, and that represents control over human beings. What has all this to do with the communist revolution in America? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it has everything to do with it because the building of socialism is the communist revolution in America. It represents the process whereby our country can be moved gradually toward communism without the people even being aware of it. No matter what grievance we may have, real or imagined, no matter what national problems we may face, the communists seize upon these as excuses to build socialism. They have one and only one solution for all problems. More government, more government, and then more and more until it's 
total government. And forgive me for saying it one more time, total government is communism. Sounds scary, doesn't it? Because it is so very real in the present world that we're living in. That was actually filmed in 1969 and is referring back to a strategy that goes all the way back to the 1920s. And so this is nothing new. This is a prediction that was made 51 years ago of lawlessness that we are seeing in the streets right now. <clears throat> it's a part of a strategy to overthrow our government. Now, the Bible warns us about this long ago. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, verse 12, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached into all the world as the witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Verse 15 says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let he who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of the house. And let him who is in the field go not to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babes in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as not has been seen uh, since the beginning of the world until this time. Nor shall ever be. Unless those days should be shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, everybody say the elect's sake. Those days will be shortened. Now, this is clearly a reference to the Jewish people. It's talking about temple worship, being standing in the holy place or in the temple. It's talking about people observing the Sabbath. This is Orthodox Jews uh, that are practicing the Jewish faith. This is something that's going to take place in the last days. Tribulation like the world's never seen. This is forthcoming. This is not something that has happened, okay? Paul also warns about this to the church at Thessalonica, who they talked about in the video we just saw with the children. Verse 1 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. Come on, don't be shaken in your mind or troubled, all right? Are you with me? Say Amen either by spirit or by word or by letter as from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. That's the man Jesus is talking about, the son of perdition standing in the holy place. It's a reference to the Antichrist, okay? The son of man is revealed, uh, the son of, man of sin is revealed, and the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Yeah. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time for the mystery of lawlessness. Everybody say the mystery of lawlessness. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, that is a capital H, referencing the deity, okay? Only he 
who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's talking about when Jesus comes with his saints and his glorious appearing. All right. When he comes with the brightness is coming, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of lords, all right? Everybody's going to see that. There's nothing secretive. This is openly the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Church, I'm here this morning to give some truth. It's going to be some hard truth. It's going to hurt some people's feelings. That's not my intention. <laughs> my intention is to help people, the captives, be set free. Yeah. Come on. The Bible says you'll know the truth, and it's the truth that makes men free. So I, I, everybody that's listening to me in this auditorium, the people that's listening to me on the Internet, I challenge you to hear me through and then if you disagree, you can send me a letter and let me know where I'm wrong, okay? But just to hear me out and, and try to receive it. I'm, I'm doing this the best I know how, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of love. I, I don't hate anybody. I love every person. I don't care what color you are, race, ethnic background. I think we all need to know what the truth is, though, amen? But people don't love the truth. And because of that, they're, they're, they're facing some very, very dangerous things with God. So simply what is being said there is Jesus is going to return and he's going to restore evil, destroy evil. All right. When he comes, Satan's in trouble. All right. But until then, from now until he comes with the brightness of his coming, and there's something restraining evil. I believe that he is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. And at some point, that's going to be taken out of the way. The only thing that's restraining evil in this world, believe me, is the Spirit of God in this land. Amen. Amen. The Christian faith that has established this nation that has liberated freedom around the world, regardless of what people say about America, America is responsible for freedom and democracy in many nations. Yes. And once that Christian influence is gone, there is nothing to restrain evil anymore. And that lawless doesn't want to be revealed. And then from now until the time Jesus comes, lawlessness is going to be at work, yeah. only restrained by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So what can we say about lawlessness <clears throat> that we're seeing today? In the video, we saw from the communists' own publication that they have a strategy to pit the races against each other. Are you seeing that today? Come on. A deliberate effort to get you whites to hate blacks and gets blacks to hate whites and every other whatever racial divides there are. They want to pit you together to hate each other. In the video we saw from the Communist Zone publication that this is their plan. But 2 Thessalonians 2.7 said that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It's been at work since the beginning of time. And this morning I'm going to try to unveil some and uncover some of that mystery. Uh, because this is not just a communist plan. Now, this man is saying, well, this is the communist plan. This is not just their plan. There's been evil forces and lawlessness at work for over 2,000 years, and even going all the way back to the very beginning when Cain killed his brother. Yes. Evil has been at work so ever since the, the serpent deceived Eve. Yes. 
Evil has been at work. And so they're working against the unity of the races throughout America. That's been going on for a very long time, since the foundation of our nation. Since the whites first came here and found indigenous people here, they didn't like each other. They tried to kill each other. And so there's been uh, this mystery of, of lawlessness and hating each other because we're different has gone on for a very, very long time. Yeah. Now, in the past couple of weeks since we're celebrating the independence and the time of our independence, I've been preaching on that subject. And I've talked about the Christian background, the Christian heritage of our forefathers, the, the contribution that the clergy has made to our freedom and our independence. Last week, I talked about the contribution that blacks made to our liberty and to our freedom. We owe a great debt of gratitude to black people for our freedom in America. I pointed out last, last week, you know, and I won't go through it again because I'm not careful. We'll be here for hours, and I don't want to do that because the mind can only take what to seek and endure. Amen. So stay with me. All right. I'm going to try to be brief here. Regardless of the personal practices of our forefathers, some of them actually owned slaves, all right? They're saying we find these truths to be self-evident, that God's created all men equal. At the same time, some of these men own slaves. It seems hypocritical. But regardless of their personal practice, they stood... Uh, they stood for freedom. Even though it appeared hypocritical, it does not nullify the promissory note that they drafted, that they gave their life to. They gave their fortune for it. They gave up their sacred honor for that document. And that document ensured that every American, black as well as white, would be guaranteed the inalienable right to life, to liberty, and to the pursuit of happiness. So they may have seemed hypocritical, but you have to understand that they had been under the rule of King George and the English Empire, and they were forced to have slaves. You couldn't outlaw slavery in the 13 colonies. King George wouldn't allow it. So this was the norm. But after the War of Independence, the forefathers immediately began a movement that gradually changed the norm and ended slavery. But that movement faced resistance by evil men from its very beginning that didn't want to see the end of slavery. Now, just recap real quick what we covered in last week. Each colony, after the War of Independence, operated like little mini-nations. They were independent. They, they didn't, hadn't formed the union yet, so they were free and independent to rule themselves as they chose. And when they started forming the union, one by one, the states joined the union. And so as they did, they began to regulate the, the United States under national laws. So in 1789, six years after their independence, the newly formed Congress passed what was known as the Northwest Ordinance. The Northwest Ordinance prohibited slavery in federal territories, which made Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, Michigan, and Wisconsin all entered the United States as free states. You couldn't have slaves in those states. In 18, by 1804, all of the northern states had abolished slavery entirely or they set measures in place to gradually abolish it. Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Vermont, New York, and New Jersey. 
By 1808, the Congress abolished the slave trade in America. The first nation to abolish the slave trade was America. We are a Christian nation. Come on, somebody. It takes time to get there. But by 1820, most of the founding fathers were dead. There were four political parties in Congress, the Whigs, the Free Soil Advocates, the Emancipationists, and the major party of the Democrats, Thomas Jefferson's party. In that same year in 1820, with the Democrat majority in place, they passed what was known as the Missouri Compromise, reversing the Northwest Ordinance that they had passed 31 years earlier in 1789, prohibiting slavery in the Northern Territory. And now for the first time in American history, Congress has officially promoted slavery. Church, this is where it began. And lawlessness that we're seeing in the streets today is the result of that right there. The Democrat-controlled Congress passed other pro-slavery laws, including the Fugitive Slave Law in 1850. This required all the citizens in the North to return runaway slaves to the South or face very large fines. As a result of that, over 20,000 black slaves fled into Canada. It was, the, it was the height of the Underground Railroad was during this period of time helping blacks escape and, and leave our country because it wasn't safe for them to stay here. Stay here. In 1854, the Democrat-controlled Congress passed the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which opened even more states to slavery. Their intention and their goal was to make the entire United States a slave-owning country. May of 1854, the anti-slavery people that was in politics, some of the Democrats in the North, the Whigs, all of the free soil advocates and the emancipationists formed a new party for the sole purpose of stamping out slavery. That party was called the Republican Party. They wanted to return to the principles first set forth by our founding fathers that all men are created equal and are endowed with this right to freedom, life, and liberty and, and the pursuit of happiness. In 1856, the newly formed Republican Party entered its first race. It had nine planks on its platform. Six of the nine were, were uh, pro-freedom uh, uh, pro-freedom issues. The Congress, Democrat Congress issued a rebuttal condemning all of their, their pla uh, planks. In 1857, the Democrat-controlled Supreme Court, because right now they've got the White House, they've got the Congress, they've got the Senate, and they've got a majority on the Supreme Court. They're in control of the entire country. They passed what was known as the Dred Scott decision that stated blacks were not persons but property. They announced blacks have no rights which the white man must, was bound to respect and the Negro might justly and lawfully be reduced to slavery for his, the white man's, benefit. In 1860, Abraham Lincoln entered the race for presidency against Douglas of Illinois. The Republican platform opposed the fugitive slave law that said slaves had to be returned to slavery the runaway slaves in the North, and they also opposed the Dred Scott law that said slaves are not people but property. The Democrats supported both of those, passing out the Dred Scott law to people as, a, as so, showing support for that law. 
And that's where we stopped off last week. Now, in 1860, the Democrats said, if, if Lincoln wins the election, we're leaving the Union. And they did. Eleven colonies, pulled, uh, states pulled out of the Union and formed the slave-owning states of the South. That was their original document. We are the slave-owning states of the South, later no, known as the Confederate States of, of America, the CSA. That war lasted for five years, ending in 1865. And now at the end of this time, the southern states are coming back into the Union, but to do so, they had to swear allegiance to the United States to uphold the Constitution, defend it, and to agree to the amendments of the Constitution. In 1865, they, the Congress, which is now, the Republicans are in control of the White House, they're in control of the Congress, they're in control of the Senate. They passed the 13th Amendment officially abolishing slavery in America. 100% of the Republican Party voted in favor of that amendment. Only 23% of the Northern Democrats voted in favor of it. Then the South said, well, you might have freed them, but they're not citizens of our state. Why would they say that? Because of the Dred Scott decision that said they're not people, they're property. So property can't vote, property can't be a citizen. They're free, but they're not citizens. So in 1868, the 14th Amendment was passed that said citizens are states in the, are citizens are, you're a citizen in the state where you live. It had 94% of the Republican Party voted in favor of that 14th Amendment. Not a single Democrat voted in favor of that amendment. So then the southern states said, well, you freed them. They're citizens, but they can't vote. So in 1870, the 15th Amendment was passed, giving freedom for all men to vote. Not women. All men to vote. It had 100% of the Republican Party voted in favor of the 15th Amendment, giving the blacks the freedom to vote. Not a single Democrat voted in favor of that bill. I'm just giving you the history, guys. Come on. You want to know the truth or don't you? This is our history. This is the evil that has been perpetrated throughout our history towards black Americans. Are you hearing me? It's a history that has been deliberately hidden from America. I don't like people lying to me. Come on. I'm trying to be cool here, but I don't like people lying to me. My black brothers and sisters, I love you. But if you're like me, I don't like people playing me. Don't run a game on me and lie to me. All right, so you freed them, you've made them citizens, and now you've given them the right to vote. So what do they do? They come up with 11 different tests and, and, and things that they had to do to be able to vote. We've got to give you a literacy test. You can't vote if you can't read. And so they gave them a literacy test. In Alabama, the literacy test was 20 pages long. It had questions on it like, if you're indicted by a grand jury, what rights do you have as opposed to being indicted by a lower court? Who can answer that? The poor whites who couldn't read or answer that were grandfathered so they could still vote. 
So now, because of the Republican majority in the North, blacks are beginning to win seats. All right? And some literate blacks who are able to finally vote, they begin to win seats. We've got a picture, if you can show that picture, the first seven black men to vote, be voted into the U.S. Congress. Beginning at the bottom left, going across the first row, the first far left is Hiram Rhodes Revel. He was an ex-slave. He was a missionary and a pastor. Come on. He recruited three black regiments in the Union Army. He served as a chaplain in the Union Army during the Civil War, and he was the first black to ever go into the U.S. Senate. Beside of him is Benjamin Turner of Alabama. He was an ex-slave. He became a wealthy businessman. Beside of him is Josiah Walls of Florida. He was an ex-slave. He was forced to fight for the South, but after he was captured, he became a Union officer. Beside of him is Joseph Haynes Rainey of South Carolina, a very important man in, in American history. He was an ex-slave. He became the Speaker of the House for a while. Come on, somebody. He served in Congress longer than any other black man in his era. Beside of him is Robert Brown Elliott, also of South Carolina. He was a free black, highly educated. He led the passing of many of the civil rights bills. He was a speaker of the House and state legislature. He spoke fluent French, Spanish, and Latin. Come on, who says blacks can't learn? In fact, if you read some of the speeches that these men made today... You and I would have to have a dictionary to understand what they're saying. And most of them were self-taught. Five years ago, they were slaves. Now they're writing speeches that I can't even read. On the top row to the far left is Robert DeLarge of South Carolina. He was an ex-slave. He served in the state house. He chaired the Republican Party Platform Committee. Come on. All, there's a lot of white Republicans there and, and blacks. And he's chairing their party. He is a statewide elected official. And the last one is Jefferson Long of Georgia. He was an ex-slave, self-educated businessman. When he was elected as a Republican, his business was thriving. But as soon as he became a Republican uh, politician, the Democrats boycotted him and almost ran him out of business. He was the first black to deliver the Congress, a congressional speech to the U.S. House. And they were all... Republicans. In fact, during this period of time, if you were black, you were a Republican. You were a Republican. They passed 23 civil rights bills, things like you couldn't forbid people from getting married based on race. You couldn't forbid a black man from owning property. You couldn't pay a white man a certain salary as a military officer and pay a black man another salary. The salaries were the same, black or white. In 1875, the last civil rights bill was passed until 1964, 89 years later. Why? Because the Democrats won the House and got back in power again, and they shut it down and began to re reverse many of the bills that had been passed. How did they regain the House? They regained the House as the effects of 10 years of terrorism. In 1866, 10 years before, they formed a wing of the Democrat Party known as the Ku Klux Klan. The Ku Klux Klan was an arm of the Democratic Party established as domestic terrorists to stop the Republican Party. They weren't against black, they're against Republicans. 
All right? Because if you're black, you are a Republican. So they're against all blacks because they're all Republicans. But they're against a lot of white people, too, because they were white Republicans. Church, I know this hurts a lot of people's feelings. I was a Southern Democrat. My grandfather was, all of my aunts and uncles on that side, my other grandfather, all my aunts and uncles on that side were all Southern Democrats. My first election, I voted for Jimmy Carter because I was a Democrat. So, I'm, listen, I'm with you. I'm coming. I know what I'm talking about here. Amen. Come on. And I learned the truth, and the truth makes you free. Come on. So if you're getting mad, just please stay with me. It made me mad too when I first realized it, but I don't like being lied to. In 1871, uh, the black man I, t I showed you about, Mr. Rainey, stood in the Congress and told the story about a white rep Republican who was attacked by the Ku Klux Klan and uh, he was Dr. John Smith. They came to his house and shot the man seven times. And he survived all seven shots and gave testimony of what had happened. They published in South Carolina a KKK push card. Could you show that for me, please? This was a card that was given to the Ku Klux Klan so that you could identify who you were looking for to make sure you didn't get the wrong guy. On the front was the picture of the Republican Party. They were called, if you look, radical members of the legislature. They're all Republicans. It was 50 blacks and 13 whites. One of the favorite tactics was lynching. We just heard a big uproar in, the, in NASCAR because there was a pull cord on a door that was shaped in the hang of a, of a hangman's noose. And this, this black race car driver, he thought it was targeted at him, but it was there years before he ever got there and making a big hoorah about this hangman's noose. Let me let you in on a little secret here. 3,500 black men and women were lynched. These were men. They weren't property. They were men with mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and children that just wanted life and liberty and happiness. And they deserved it under our Constitution. They deserved it. Amen. And evil, evil people took them out of their homes and hung them by their neck in a tree until they were dead because they were radical members of legislature. 3,500 but what you may not know in a secret that's been kept from you is there was 1,300 whites that were lynched. Why? Because they were Republicans. Come on, somebody. In 1910, there was a parade in Washington, D.C. by the Ku Klux Klan who boasted 40,000 members at that time. They all belonged to the Democrat Party. They were the muscle of the Democrat Party. There were U.S. senators, U.S. representatives, Supreme Court justices, and law enforcement officers in that parade. The very first motion picture ever shown in the White House was a Ku Klux Klan recruiting film called The Birth of the Nation by D.W. Griffith, founded on the book by Dixon's The Klansman. It was shown by President Woodrow Wilson, a Democrat president. 
The president before him was Theodore Roosevelt. Anybody ever heard of Teddy Roosevelt? Teddy Roosevelt brought Booker T. Washington to the White House as his advisor. You say, who is Booker T. Washington? He is the man that started the Muskegee College for Blacks. How many of you ever heard of the Muskegee pilots, war, pilots in World War II? They painted the tail of their planes red, were extraordinary pilots. Saved a lot of bombing missions, white people, in a war against Germany, against fascism, Nazis. They fought alongside of us, bled and died alongside of us. Come on, people. This is, this is breaking my heart the way we treat each other. 40,000 members of the Ku Klux Klan. And Theodore uh, Woodrow Wilson supported him. When he took office, he got rid of several blacks that was in federal office and tried to get rid of as many blacks as he could. He also fought against the suffrage movement. How many of you know what the suffrage movement is? That's women's right to vote. Why? Because if you give women the right to vote, that means you give black women the right to vote. And all black women were Republicans. So he didn't want to give the women the vote because he didn't want black women to vote. It wasn't you white girls he was against. Come on. In 1871, the Republicans pushed a bill before Congress to punish Klan violence. We have a clip of the a reenactment of the appeal before Congress by Joseph Franey. Could you show that for me, please? By Are you still with me? Say amen. Only a decade after the Civil War, Republicans had successfully passed almost two dozen civil... By 1875, only a decade after the Civil War, Republicans had successfully passed almost two dozen civil rights laws, and black American legislators often played significant roles in the debates surrounding the passage of such laws. One example involved a civil rights bill in 1871, a bill allowing the federal government to punish Klan violence. During the debates on that bill, Representative Joseph Hayne Rainey from South Carolina delivered a powerful speech during the debates on that bill explaining why blacks were most often the targets of Klan violence. When we call to mind the fact that this Klan persecution is waged against men for the simple reason that they dare vote with the Republican Party, the question is sometimes asked, why do not the courts of law afford redress? We answer, because the courts are in many instances under the control of Democrats who are wholly opposed to the impartial administration of law and equity. What benefit would result from appeal to courts whose officers are secretly in sympathy with the very evil against which we are striving? If the Negroes, numbering one-eighth of the population of these United States, would only cast their votes in the interest of the Democrats, all open measures of violence against them would immediately be suspended and their rights as American citizens recognized. But I can only say that we love freedom more vastly more than slavery. Consequently, we hope to keep clear of the Democrats. I will also say that in the state of South Carolina, which I represent, there is no disturbance of an alarming character in any one of the counties in which the Republicans have a majority. The troubles are usually in those sections in which the Democrats have control. I say to the entire membership of the Democratic Party, that upon your hands 
rests the blood of the loyal men of the South. Disclaim it as you will, but the stain is there to prove your criminality before man and God. In the world is a day of retribution, which will surely come. I pity the man or party of men who would seek to ride into power over the dead body of a legitimate opponent. I can say for my people that we are fully determined to stand by the Republican Party and the government. We have resolved to be loyal and firm. And as Queen Esther said long ago, if we perish, we perish. I earnestly hope that this bill will pass. By 1870. Charles Finney, who was the, one of the great preachers of the Second Great Awakening, probably one of the greatest American evangelists, said, Christians seem to act as if God does not see what they do in politics. But I tell you, he does see it. Yeah. And he will bless or curse this nation yeah. according to the course Christians take in politics. George Whitfield, who preached the First Great Awakening, was politically engaged, and he spoke freely from it, uh, about it from the pulpit, as did all of the pastors during the time of the Revolution and throughout history. Charles Finney was no exception to that. I stand today and can freely speak about this because of the reversal of the Johnson Amendment made in 1954 that said preachers can't talk about politics. Why was LBJ so against that? Because he didn't want this kind of stuff to come out. The current president reversed that amendment, yes. giving us the liberty and the freedom to speak. The First Amendment that we've always had or supposed to have had is the freedom of speech. So today, many blacks of America, they've given their allegiance to the Democrat Party. That is puzzling to me. Why a, a party that has been inherently against you and it wants to enslave you, why would you swear your allegiance to them? I, I don't understand that. And they have never repented of that. They simply changed their strategy. If you're a Democrat here today, listen, I used to be you. All right, I, I love you, but you need to know these truths. And what you do with it is up to you. Yeah. And whoever's hearing me, if you're a Democrat, I used to be you. You need to know these truths. Now you take it and do what you choose with it. The Democrats, the reason that they've sworn their allegiance is because they think and they have been taught and told that John F. Kennedy is the one responsible for your freedom to vote. That's a lie. It was a lie when they told it. It's, it's a lie that you've been lied to. You were given the freedom to vote in 1870, 18, what was it, 1870, when the 15th Amendment passed, 94 years before John F. Kennedy said in the office, you were given the freedom to vote, and it had 100% Republican backing, and not a single Democrat voted for a black man to have the right to vote. Not one. The Civil Rights Bill in 1964 was not John F. Kennedy's bill in the first place. That bill, all it did was remove all of the things like the literacy tests and all the obstacles that prevented black men from voting. That bill removed that. But that bill had been submitted 10 years before JFK came into office by Dwight D. Eisenhower, a Republican. And the reason it didn't pass was because of a Democrat-controlled Congress voted it down. Wow. 
When John F. Kennedy put that bill before Congress, the Democrats had a two-third majority in the House, and he couldn't get enough Democrats to pass the bill. He had to go to the Republicans to pass it. JFK didn't do anything for you. The only reason he did that was because of the pressure that was being put on him by Dr. Martin Luther King, who, by the way, was a Republican. My black brother and sister, I love you. But believe me when I tell you, the Democrat Party is not your friend. So where are we today? The mystery of lawlessness. It's not a mystery anymore, is it? It's been at work for a long, long time in America. It's still at work in America. It's being perpetrated now through a movement called Black Lives Matter. Do black lives matter? Yes. Of course they do. We've shown that through history. We owe a great debt of gratitude to black men and black women. Of course it matters. They're trying to perpetrate Christians as haters and that that's a lie. Yes. Of course black lives matters. The BLM movement is made up of blacks and whites. And listen to me. Some of the people that's out here marching and protesting are good people they don't they don't know all they know is if this is going to help a black person then i'm for it well guess what if that was really what it was about i might be out there myself there's some good people out there they're not all evil and all wicked but there's some bad people out there too some that are associated with a group called antifa Antifa is supposed to be anti-fascist or against fascism. But let me tell you something about Antifa. They are the very definition of, of fascist. Yes. Yes. They're not against it. That's who they are. So what are the Black Lives Matter's core values? From their website, they said, quote, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended family and, quote, villages that collectively care for one another. Boy, that sounds so sweet. We collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. Was well, something missing there? How about fathers? Why mothers? Well, you can't have children without a mama. All right. But parents can be two men. can be two women. It can be, it can be any definition. All right. So you've got to read into what's being read in, it's being said here. This is a deliberate attack against traditional marriage and traditional family. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. What is the nuclear family? A father, a mother, and children. That's the nuclear family. Western prescribed requirement. Let me tell you something. It wasn't described by the Westerners. It was a commanded by God. 
For this cause, a man, biological male, shall leave his mother and father and take a wife, biological woman, and they too will make children, so therefore will be one flesh. If you want me to explain what that means. A man shall leave his mother and father and take a wife, and they too shall be one. That's the nuclear, that's God's design for the home. Always has been. And I'm not hating people by saying that. That's God's command. It's perverted when we take it outside of that framework and try to make something else out of it that God never intended. The organization is not about black lives. It's a group dedicated to tear down core Christian values like traditional marriage and family. They also, as a part of their core values, says, quote, we foster a queer-affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intent of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormal thinking. So what they're saying is we're not only queer-affirming, We oppose heteronormal thinking. In other words, I'm not just in favor of homosexuality. I'm against you because you're different than that. You believe in the heteronormal thinking of a man, a woman, and, and, and children. So we oppose that. We work to tear it down, to tear down the traditional marriage and family and heteronormal thinking. The mystery of lawlessness. What is this really all about? It's opposing God's order in every possible way. That's what this is really about. A quote from the co-founder, Patricia Kalur of the Black Lives Matter movement, she said, quote, the first thing I think is that we actually do have an ideological, we have an ideological framework in particular, we are trained organizers. We are trained Marxists. You say, who is a, who, what is a Marxist? They are the, the followers of Karl Marx, who was a German philosopher. He was an atheist and an evolutionist. He believed that any ownership of property is evil. It's not right for you to have hundreds of acres. If you have a 100-acre ranch, it's not right for any one man to own all of that. It should be for everybody. Let's make it a part. We're just one great big global community. Everybody should have rights to everything. Karl Marx said, religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature. It's the heart of the heartless world. It's the soul of the soulless condition. It is the opioid of the people. Abolish religion and you will find a happy people. Black Lives Matters are sworn Marxists. What is their goal? Abolish religion, and you'll be happy. You can't own anything, give it all to the government. In the beginning, 1929, this book was written, and this man in 1969 read it and said, from a black man who was a communist and came out of it and wanted to open people's eyes, Total government is communism. The Democrat Party has always been about big government. Wonder why? 
Christians view, let me, let me, are you still with me? The Marxist view is people have instrumental value. The Christian view is you have intrinsic value. Now, what's the difference? Let's take George Floyd, for example. This whole Black Lives Movement thing was caused by George Floyd, all right? Police officer got his neck on a man's, his knee on a man's neck, choked him to death. Allegedly, I don't know. That's, that's going to be decided by the court. Listen, we, we're not the court. Come on, we're not the court. We've got courts for that. We've got juries for that. We've got a judicial system, system for that. All right. There, there was a black minister I saw, and he said he was on, and, and I'm not attacking George Floyd. Don't get me wrong. I'm just giving you the facts, okay? He was on methamphetamine and fentanyl. That causes what is known as is, is hyperdelirium. You say, well, what is hyperdelirium? It's when your, your adrenaline gland starts pumping erratically and gives you superhuman strength. And what often happens is when you have, uh, uh, is it called hy hyperdelirium? I forget the name of it, but you, you peak, and then when you start to crash, many times you crash to the point of cardiac arrest. People die from hyperdelirium, if I'm saying that right. Now, I don't know that that's what happened. Whether that happened or not, no man has a right to have his knee on somebody else's neck. I don't care what color you are. But that scene gave that man, in the Marxist view, instrumental value. How? He became an instrument that promoted the riots that we're seeing in the street right now. So what was his value to life? He was the instrument by which we can go to the streets and pit the races against each other. He was valuable. He, gave, he was the tool. He was the instrument that gave us what we needed to get what we want. That's the Marxist view. You have instrumental value. What can I benefit from you in your life? To the Christian, you have intrinsic value. What is that? That means what it, what's been invested in you regardless of your worth on the market. That's what intrinsic value is. And what's been invested in you is you are Omega Day. Everybody say that with me. Omega Day. That means the image of God. Every person, I don't care what their value is on the street, they may be the most worthless bum that's ever lived and have absolutely no market value. They have intrinsic value because they are created in the image and the likeness of Almighty God. And I don't care what color they are. They have value. And they should be respected and honored and treated with, with civility. The George Floyd thing is not a race issue. It's a civil issue. You don't treat people that way. And listen, you don't put the whole police department in the shoes of that madman that's got his knee on that guy's neck. We don't stereotype a whole race of people or a whole group of people by the actions of one or a few. What's wrong with America? Do I stand by the police department? 100% I do. There's some very good police officers in this world. 
Are there some bad ones? Yes, they are. And they need to filter them out and get them out. Don't train them. Get them out. So what about this removal of statues we're seeing? All right, come on. We're only a few miles from Richmond, Virginia, the capital of the Confederacy. A whole lot of bad things happened to black people in Richmond. Now, I'm standing here today as a son of the Confederacy. I've got the namesake of Newcomb. My ancestors fought in the 44th Virginia Regiment also known as the Amelia Minutemen. They fought in Greenbrier River. They had five wounded. In McDowell, they had two killed and 17 wounded. At Cross Creek in Port Republic, 15 killed and 38 wounded. My relatives fought in Fredericksburg, 15 casualties. In Chancellorsville, 71. In, Pitt, in, in Gettysburg, 227 engaged. More than 20% were disabled. The 44th Regiment only had one officer and 12 men surrendered in 1865. That's how many was left. So I've got blood in this confederacy. You understand what I'm saying? I come confederacy on both sides of my family. My mother and my fathers all were Southerners and fought in the confederacy. So what do I think about taking down the statues in, in Richmond? If I were a black man... All right, let's, let's put ourselves in their skin. And I'm looking up at that statue. That will be a constant reminder to me of a period of time that my people were not even treated like human beings, but property to be disposed of as you choose. That a man, a white man could come in, he could take my wife, he could rape my wife, he could do what he wanted with my children, there's nothing I can do but accept it. And that's a reminder of it every day. Do I have a problem with those statues coming down? Honestly, no, I don't. This is a confederate talking. Because I understand, listen, my black brother, I understand what you must think. I can't say I understand how you feel. I'm not black. I've never been black. I'm, cha- I'm, cha- I'm, I'm, I'm cotton white. All right? I did, uh, come on, I've gone on Ancestry.com, and there is no African-American in my history. American Indian, yes, but not African American. That's another subject, but I understand what you must think. But don't be deceived by this. Those statues coming down is not the objective of the Black Lives Movement. Now, I understand that good black people want to see that come down, and not everybody in this movement is bad. But the movement itself is Marxist. They've got a deeper and a darker and more sinister and evil plan than that. That is just simply a way to get to the next step. Because they want to remove all of our national identity. Because they're moving us gradually towards communism. And they're doing that by the communist plan, by pitting the races together. America, don't take the bait. They're trying to tear away at the fabric of America and what we were founded on. The things that we're seeing going on is not a natural battle, church. It's a spiritual battle. 
And they're going to get what they want if we sit by and allow them. I've got one more clip I want to show you, then I'm going to close. If you could show the little lady from Venezuela for me, please. Why do I even worry about some silly little statues coming down or some silly little street names changing? Why do I care? It's because the last time I didn't care about this, I was a teenager. I have already lived through this thing when I was living in Venezuela. Statues came down. Chavez didn't want that history displayed. And then he changed the street names. Then came the curriculum. Then some movies couldn't be shown on certain TV channels and so on and so forth. You guys think it can happen to you? I've heard this so many times, but always be on guard. Never believe something can't happen to you. You need to guard your country and your society or it will be destroyed. We didn't believe it could happen to us. Us Venezuelans, Cubans warned us. And we're like, like, that's not gonna happen here. Yet it happened. And there's clearly a lot of people wanting to destroy the US. It can happen here, church. We need to be aware of what's going on. And we need to be aware of who is behind it. Now, I'm not going to make some statements that I'd really like to make about the Ku Klux Klan has been replaced by other groups. But, and I'm not going to say that they're an arm of a, of a, a political party, but boy, it sure has the, the appearance of that, doesn't it? The things that we're seeing going on, church, is not a natural battle. It's a spiritual battle. Ephesians chapter 6 says, finally, my brother, in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We must put on the whole armor of God that we're able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles means the strategies or the tactics of the devil. How many of you know this is strategic? Come on, is this strategic or not? Because we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities. There's demon princes behind this. Against powers, there's spiritual powers behind this. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or they're not natural. They're mighty through God to pull down these strongholds. So what can I do? White person, listen to me. Until you get to the point that you see every other human being, regardless of their color, as a mego day, you're equal or even superior to you, regardless of their value. Listen, that guy may be the biggest bum ever lived, but he's still created in the image of God. All right, because we see people in, in different races and the different things that they do in gangs and different kind of stuff, and it's like they're not contributing anything to society. No, they're not. That's true about whites and blacks. Amen? They're not contributing anything to society, but they're created in the image of God. And especially as a white person looking at a black person, a white boy from the South, son of the Confederacy, former Southern Democrat, taught that blacks are inferior. It was a common understanding in the South. They were not equal to us. And all, I won't even go into the, just the common understanding related to the black race. I grew up in that. Then 1974, I committed my life to Christ. 
and I became a new creation. And I began to see through his eyes. And until you get to the point that you can look at that black person and he is just like you, this wound will never be healed. To my black friend, till you get to the point where you can forgive the sins of the past and the present. Come on, especially if you, did you know among the black community they have the highest percentage of Christians than any other race or ethnic group, all right? So I'm talking to a lot of black people. You profess to be a Christian, but you hold hate in your heart for white people because of what they did to your ancestors and what you believe, whether it's true or not, they do today. All right, let's say it is true. All right, that you're not treated right. You're not given the same opportunities as a white man. Till you get to the point that you forgive. Jesus said, forgive those who have trespassed against you. For if you do not forgive those who trespassed against you, then neither will your Father in heaven forgive you of your trespasses. Friend, forgiveness is not an option. It's a command. And my black friend, until you forgive whites for the sins of the past and the present, this wound will never be healed. It's a spiritual battle. We got to start seeing this through the eyes of the Spirit. Amen? So where do I stand? I spent the last two Sundays talking about the debt we owe to blacks contribution that they give. Do I believe that black lives matters? With all of my heart. Do I see them as equals? Yes, I do. And in superior in many cases. Come on, if I got a brain injury and there's a white doctor standing there, doesn't know what he's doing, and Ben Carson is standing there, guess who's cutting on me? Come on. Yeah. I'm a friend to all races. And I believe that God has put me here and put us here to help heal this wound. There's these three, I see, I see it. I like to simplify things, all right? There's three types of people that we're dealing with today. You're either a person that hates the other race just because they're different. And you're going to keep picking at this open wound and, and, and it will never heal because you simply hate that other person. Then there's a group of people that benefit from the races being pitted against each other, either financially or politically. And so they're not going to let this wound heal. They're going to deliberately pit the races, as I have pointed out this morning. And then there's people like me, and I hope like you, that desperately wants to heal this thing. And for the record, I believe God has put us here. Do you realize, those that don't know the history, this is the old Shellfar School is where we built our church. What was the Shellfar School? It was the black elementary school. It stood as an image in the community to say, your children are not good enough to go to school with our children. We bought this building and turned it into a church 22 years ago. The first year that your church was open. I got a phone call from Mechanicsville Christian Center and Assembly of God Church down in Richmond said, we've got a group from Africa 
They're on a mission trip here in America, and we have booked them every Sunday. We now have them booked Saturday night. Would you like to have them come? I said, yes, I would love to have them come. And so we had them come, and they had their big gourds of beads on it. Man, I mean, those people know how to worship, bro. Come on. And they came in. They were worshiping. Man, I was clapping, and I, I'm like, yeah, let's, let's go. I, I could, let's go to Africa, man. They, they know how to praise God, you know. The leader came up, very broken English, says, there's a lady in our group that has a word for this church, and she wants to know if there's an opportunity. And the way he said, opportunity, I can't say it like he did, to share it. I was like, if she has a word from God for this church, I would love to have her come up and share it. Black, black, black. African blacks seem like their skin is darker, I guess, because, well, I don't know, let me go into that, but she was just black, black, and she came up and she said, God has sent us here to break the curse on this land. Yeah. Talking about this ground right here, Shelfar. Yeah. God sent a, a lady just came by my house this week and gave me a book on the history of slavery right here in this area as it pertains to the Methodist church up here. She goes to the Methodist church. And part of the center of the slavery trade in the, this area right here was in what they call Old Town. Do you know where Old Town is at? You're sitting on it. Church, you're sitting on it. This is where the slave trade, the, primary, the biggest part of the slave trade was conducted, right here. And God, 22 years ago, planted a ministry here that will love all people, regardless of their color. God sent an African all the way from Africa to come here and break the curse on this ground. She called my wife and I up, and they, they got around us, and they soaked our feet with tears as they prayed over this ministry. And what God wanted to do right here, and I believe what God wants to do in America. Don't call yourself a Christian if you can't love your brother. God says, if you say you love me and you hate your brother, you are a liar. And the truth is not in you. You have to love one another. And God wants to heal our country. I pray every American could see this, this message today. And people's hearts that's filled with hate, they're just going to hate me more. They already hate me, so they just hate me more. It's all right. Jesus said they hated him too. And they're going to hate you. If hate's in your heart, that's what's in your heart. I pray that God will heal your heart. Yes. Let the love of Christ come in and change you. Yes. Now, I've given you the truth. The Bible says the truth will make you free. Because yes. I'm not preaching about race today. I'm preaching about sin. Yeah. And the Bible says for all have sinned. Come short of the glory of God. Ladies and gentlemen, would you stand with me, please? What I want to end with is Jesus said that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, hating each other, Christ died for us. And if you will believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, 
If you will confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says that you will be saved. What does that mean? That means he will transform you. He will change you. He will turn a heart of stone into a heart of clay. He will take you like a little southern boy that thought blacks were less than, taught that they were less than, used foul language when talking about them, and change his heart into seeing that man as my brother. As Omega Day, a man created in the image of God and treat him and think of him as an equal and even superior. So if anybody under the sound of my voice has not committed your life to Christ, that's what changed me 45 years ago. Maybe 46, I don't know the math. It's been a while anyway. It's what changed me. And he's still changing me. It's a death walk every day. Putting to death this flesh and letting the love of God come in to change you so that you fight for what is right. I believe that people in political office had that and it's what motivated them. Now, I know it sounds like I'm pushing the Republican Party and attacking the Democrats. You deserve what you, come on. What, what do you say to that? No, I stand for who stands for righteousness, not as the individual, but as the platform. Because come on, there can be some good people and the platform stinks and the platform's going to win. So it's not about the individual. It's the platform. If the platform is standing for righteousness, I'm your guy. If you're standing for things like abortion, same-sex marriage and stuff, and things that's contrary to this book, I'm not your guy. Come on. Now, I can speak to that other subject later because I'm not, listen, I, I don't hate people that, I don't hate abortion doctors. I don't hate homosexual people. I love them. I want to see God set them free. I want to see him heal them. It's not a matter of hate. In fact, it's the opposite. I see you ready to step off of a cliff. Not loving you, he's letting you step off the cliff. Come on. If I love you, I'm going to try to pull you back and save you from your own actions, right? So this morning, if you bow your heads with me, any person that has not committed their life to Christ, it is so simple. All you have to say is, God, please forgive me for the sins that I have committed against you. We've all sinned against God. If you've ever told a lie, you're a liar. If you've ever stole something, you're a thief. If you've ever taken God's name in vain, you've blasphemed it. Come on, we're all guilty of breaking God's laws. All of us have sinned. And say, God, God, just forgive me of my sin. I'm sorry. And God, I want you to come into my heart and change me. It can, it's just that simple. I accept the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for me at Calvary. And I'm asking you to save me today. If you will pray that prayer, there is no power on earth that will stop God from getting to you and changing you. And he will begin to change you day by day, line by line, precept by precept, here a little and there a little, until the day we see him. Amen. So if you're here this morning, you want to make that commitment to Christ, I'm going to ask you to meet with me after. I'll be glad to pray with you. You can just pray it right where you are. Okay. But don't leave here unchanged. All right. So before we go, well, we're not going anywhere. I'm going to give you a break. Then we'll have a business meeting after. So don't forget that. All right, we need to take care of that. I'm going to make it really, really fast, I promise. 
Father, I pray over the body of Christ this morning, Lord. I pray a blessing over every home that is represented here today, God. Father, I pray that you make it a refuge, Lord, an escape from the world. God, a strong tower, a place of safety and peace, Lord. God, will you strengthen the family today, God, husbands and their wives, parents and their children, siblings, one with each other. God, I pray a special blessing and a prayer, God, over those that are living single today, God, that's seeking their mate. God, they're waiting for the right person to come along. Lord, you know who that person is. I pray that you cause their paths to cross, Lord, and their hearts just fall completely in love with each other, Lord. Help them find each other, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.